Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox and this is the 1199th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own Galaxy's Greatest Comet 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for September and October 1984, progs 384 to 386. This time Halo Jones goes out for real. Judge Dredd heads for the sewers, Johnny Alpha settles things with his dad, and Major Magnum returns, as do the dictators of Zrak. Uh, <laughs> wow. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd that completes Kate's Files 8, Strong Team Dog SD Agency Files 2, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth 2, Halo Jones Book 1, The Complete Ace Trucking 2, and The Complete Future Shocks. And all I gotta say is, uh, black is the wind on the heels of the gifted. Because, oh my god, Man of War makes its fucking appearance in this comic book, which only makes this comic book more awesome uh, by my regard. Shout out to anyone who knows what the fuck I'm talking about with Man of War. (laughs) I love metal. Totally, yeah. And speaking of the most metal of uh, 2018, and actually, that's the, probably not true, but for our purposes, it's it is. pretty metal. I guess Nemesis would be yeah, metal, but I this, feel is, like, this whole thing is pretty metal. I can think of several more metal to, uh, thrills, that maybe some we haven't gotten to yet, but to th- but Strontium Dog is still always a good time as we go to Through One Strontium Dog. <laughs> speaking of metal, let's... Bust a fucking cap in this metal's ass, and I guess uh, escape hatch. That's right. Uh, script wrote by Alan Grant and John Wagner as Alan Grant. Art wrote by Carlos Escarlata. Letting wrote by Jack Potter. And yeah, last time we ended on a big cliffhanger, and in a classic cliffhanger faction, this time they're like, ah, screw that. And um, you know the uh, the rebels are all pinned down by attacking Strontium Dogs. How will they escape? The escape hatch, namely the What's one that the wolf, yeah, the one that Wolf blows in the wall next to them and allows them to escape deep into the bowels of the doghouse. Hey man, no problems are going to come of this, especially with the weird whirring machinery that's inside the walls. Uh, it's fine. Hey, it's a space station. It's got a lot going on. Um, <laughs> they're forced to leave Spuds Murphy behind before they climb in there, and then the uh, the other dogs hunting them reroute after them, leaving Spuds behind. But the sticks are on the scene, and as oh, Spud God. tries to follow his buddies, they come behind him and gun him down. Bagora! It's, <laughs> it's a pretty grim scene. Like, everyone just kind of bails out. A couple of people stay behind, and there's just this silent shot of the sticks in shadowed coming yeah. into the area, like, backlit. It's really fucking great. And the next time you see them, it's just shadows on the wall. Uh, and then the next scene is them just gunning Spuds down. Yeah, a beloved man. character introduced only recently, but loved by all. I mean, you know, he's a good guy. He's a uh, he's a uh, he's a uh, Irish. He's got a potato theme. I feel like spit on the nose. Yeah, I don't know if that's super cool, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, um, meanwhile, the Gronk has freed Johnny, and they start to further escape. The Gronk eating through the cell door as the rebels. Go through the uh, briefing hall. They're caught. Sideways, Smith gets blown away, and the dogs are trapped again as nerve gas is tossed into the briefing room. Ah, uh, God, I can't control myself. So, uh, meanwhile, the Gronk has freed Johnny, and they start to, like, keep escaping, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, my favorite part about all of this is just, like, how gentle he is with the Gronk. 
Like he's like, sounds sounds like they need help. Like, hey, let's do this thing. And then he's like petting him basically. Just like, hey, don't worry about it. You're doing a good job. Like he knows the thing. I got it from here. I know you can't handle it this far. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's it's really just gentle. I I like how hardcore Alpha is, but he knows his friends. Yeah, he knows his, yeah, totally. Johnny's eating through the wall. He's on the loose. We got to get Creelman before Wolf and the Rebels are killed. He runs through the cells, judo chopping and stealing guns as he goes. Awesome. Pistol whipping a dude right in the face. Yeah. The Rebels are down to nerve gas as Johnny fights his way to the control center. And once he gets there, everybody just gives up because he's like, listen, I'm Johnny Alpha. I got a gun. There's like (laughs) six guys of you. You all have guns. You know that I've already won. And they agree, basically. And, And Creelman is not pleased. Just yelling at dudes like, stop not killing him and kill him. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, you know, it's yeah. Johnny Alpha. Sir, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, anyhow, with as the dogs re- uh, prepare to kill the rebels, Johnny bursts in with Norman King, who he promptly Scooby-Doo's, i.e. pulls his mask <laughs> off. And, uh, <laughs> and unlike Scooby-Doo, where the guy just goes to jail... It's just a fucking firing squad. Yeah, like he reveals. Yeah, he reveals him as Creelman, and then as Creelman starts to begin like a your standard like hate-filled speech, uh, you know, with the I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling mutants, and then all you mutants are like evil subhuman beings, uh, like all those yeah. strontium dogs in the room just open fire, giving him the full like Sony Corleone, like you know, look how they've massacred my hate leader kind of. <laughs> blow him away it's so awesome i hate you creelman uh never come back i hope you're dead forever uh it's great yeah um and so now the rebels are safe but there's still one battle to be fought the sticks brothers oh man face off is so good oh this is just so good this is payoff this is real fucking tangible goddamn payoff totally yeah the sticks has realized that with krillman dead the game the the game is up and they try to leave um johnny rallies the mutants and they um and sort of word comes down that the whole thing was a was a frame up and stuff like that so johnny's name is cleared um, and the Stixes try to head for the time room to teleport away where oh, the God. torso from no, Newcastle no, is holding no, the No, no, I forgot about this until you said it. I hate you, and I hate this, hey, and I never want this to have happened. Hate the Stixes, man, because those monsters take the torso out with a frag grenade. The oh. heroic to- – George Moore, the heroic torso from Newcastle, uses his final breath to take out the time machine, trapping the Stixes so they will receive justice. Rest in power, torso from Newcastle. May you be uh, guided to heaven on the torsos of angels. In- that's the best part. That's the best part you you want an angel to carry you with. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> trapped Johnny offers the sticks a deal. They'll have a shoot a showdown shootout, and if the sticks is win, they can go free. The sticks agree, and of course plan to cheat. But Johnny and Wolf, it's not their first rodeo, and they cheat right back. The sticks are dead. Oh yeah, man! You don't stay alive by letting the sticks just cheat you the shit out of life. You no, know you they're gonna cheat. Dude. Yeah, all they all they've done throughout this whole thing is basically been getting showdown situations and cheat and kill people. Um, so it's good to see yeah. them ho- uh, hoisted by their own petards here. Um, oh, that's so great. So with 
the with peace brought back to the dog the doghouse um all the bodies both hero and villain are sent back to earth for processing um including our four our four mutant heroes that died the final victims of nelson bunker creelman man yeah. why is it that every time strontium dog comes in it's so awesome but it just has to kick me in my feels as hard as it can repeatedly yeah these guys, I, I these guys love know, this series. Yeah, they know what they're doing for sure. Uh, Strontium Dog will return in Prague 416. Thank you, Alan Grant. Thank yeah. you, Carlos Escara. Also, and John thank Wagner you, writing sir. in there. Yeah, they're oh, good yeah, guys. And Do- Jack Potter. For yeah. doing doing the yeoman's work. Yeah, this is a really fun story. I just love, yeah, you, like you said, like once it gets started, just it's a constant chase. There's constantly action going on one way or another. Um, there might be one or two uh, like parts, like if there is a slow part, it's a part that just lets you catch your breath before the next big yes. like section begins and stuff. It feels like running. And yeah. uh, like it's been this thing that I feel like you and I – have held up this entire time since it started, just saying like, oh my God, it's so good. Oh yeah. It's so good. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's kind of par for the course for Strontium Dog, which I know is both, is is a favorite of both of ours for sure. Um, This is just a great, yeah, like, you know, over 20 issues, like keeping things together for the summer um, and just being a really amazing example of Strontium Dog, you know, a continuation of the world of Strontium Dog is sort of Mm -hmm. this, you know, sequel to the portion of a mutant and stuff. Um, One thing we'll see sort of coming out of this especially is an increased role for for, uh, uh, Middenface. Who awesome. is going to become like first a, a, a major secondary character in Strontium Dog, and eventually a, 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 a main character in his own right, um, sort of as oh, the years go by. That's excellent. Yeah, this is a real coming out party for Midden Face and stuff. I'm really excited for where that's going to go, and just how Strontium Dog is going in general. It's real fun, real stoked to get him back in 1985. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah! I love your nubs. He's got those nubs, buddy. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, stories reaching their finales, it's oh god, yeah, thrill to the ballad of Halo Jones. Oh man, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's so good, Conrad. It's true. Uh, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter. So uh, we see from last time uh, Brenna's body being taken away as Rodisa's questioned. By um, the Rumblejacks, who are these hoop cops, basically, who mm-hmm. are repeat criminals that have been lecuotomized and reprogrammed to be police officers, essentially. Except Which is a spectacular kind of just world building point. But very, yeah, very dark, um, as always with Halo Jones, um, except for one officer who actually is a volunteer and says that he's an old friend of, of uh, Brenna's and says, you know, she's, she was quite a woman. Yeah, Rodice was giving him a real, uh, like, talking to, and he's like, look, uh, like, I get it, you're angry and all of that. I knew this woman. Yeah, um, I knew her too, I'm bummed also, yeah. you know. Exactly, and then he just walks off, never to be cited, at least in this part of the story, again. Yeah. Which I think is so much more affecting. <laughs> Though he does, be, before he goes, he re- assures them that uh, Toby, Brenna's Ripper, will, you know, handle these, ki- handle her killers. Like, don't worry about that. Like, he's a the kind yeah, of model man. that will get that, will settle that, and there's, like, you know, save his boys a bunch of work, basically. Good model, the 47 Iliac. Yeah. 
Um, Hale and Rudis are completely gutted by all this, and things go from bad to worse when Ludi returns and she's become a different drummer. Oh my god, that was totally uh, her... What? I, I, I keep uh, forgetting Dota. the name of it. Yeah. yeah, it was totally her Dota. And yeah, and it's a, like, we haven't really talked about that much, but sort of a a little side thing that's been happening sort of as Halo and Rodice were making their trip and stuff was we'd sort of hear snippets of news reports that made it seem like her band from the start of the story, mm. uh, I-7 or whatever, had be, has been signed like to yeah. a, a record label and stuff and is going to be successful. But um, I guess before that, it looks like Ludi sold her Dota and used the money to get uh, the different drummer implant, basically. Well, and and how it's described, especially, it's like she kind of puts, and this is all uh, some some straight up text, but some subtext of like other things that we haven't seen. But she's just like, mm-hmm. you guys like put your off world ideas on me. While I'm just like kind of this trembling person living in this like, uh, you know, fucked up hoop society. Yeah. And this is how I feel safe now is just to kind of regress into not thinking and not feeling and to just have this beat and to be a part of this growing group that, hey, man, we protect each other and I don't have to think, you know. Yeah. She makes a big deal about how um, like she really felt a ton of pressure from Halo, especially yeah. um, because of her talent. Like Halo put a lot of, seems to have like sort of tried to almost like offload some of her hopes and dreams of escaping the hoop onto Ludi and like Ludi just couldn't handle that. You know, we've saw like sort of hints of this, like before they left, yes. especially right. Like yes. you can see there were little seeds. Yeah. As you sort of go through, you can see the seeds of this sort of in Halo's interactions and stuff. Um, you know, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Yeah. And like, also, if you'll remember, um, I guess two episodes ago when they, you know, right at the start when they left that concert and they were confronted by the different drummers and after terrified, she was terrified, but also kind of realized that like one, like they would be welcoming to her. They liked her performance. And like, there's an interest, there's a scene that has a lot more weight now where, mm-hmm. um, after that confrontation, Halo said to Ludi, like, Hey, like you saw like your musical talent, like kept us from getting beat up, right? Like, you know, your talent is important and powerful instead of just being tough like Rodice. And, uh, Ludi said, like, I learned a lot of things tonight, which yeah, now which is super ominous, right? Super, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and it, and it gives you insight into the hoop because at least as far as, uh, spoilers book one is concerned like I might not see this character again as a as an act one point right mm. like this is this is the first step towards them just getting the fuck out of here yeah I mean it's definitely one of those things that's is like this is a you know living on the hoop is a bad situation you know mm. in- inherently I, I you know I want to talk about it a little bit here just because um, if we do a collection or something but yeah I mean we sort of learn in the back material in one of these in one of these progs sort of that the hoop is basically for people who don't have incomes it's sort of a dumping ground oh, for wow. for the poor essentially <laughs> like people who yeah who can't who don't have a who don't have jobs sort of in, in future society um, and you know from what we've seen like with exit gardens and other things like that it's mm-hmm. also very much a place we just suppose to sort of exist and die and if you want to die ahead of time that's fine too and that's just a tough situation Um, that's a horrible situation yeah oh my god you know and you're just in there and you're in the hoop all your life to the point that you know you're like rudis and you go outside and you have like uh, and you're uh, traumatized by it like like you're terrified of the open sky you know um 
it's real sad. It's real tough. Um, and it's something that I feel like Moore does a great job of letting you get a sense of. And especially without here. Without telling you directly. Yeah, without telling you directly, but just like that, we sort of, we, we've reached a point where Halo makes a choice because we've basically seen the options that someone has in the hoop. Yeah. Right? Like, you, it's you're almost gonna, like it's a story. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. But I mean, you know, but like, she's at a point where she's oh, no, like, I didn't um, mean that sarcastically. Okay. Sorry. Um, but like, where it's, you know, at this point, like, what are the, you know, what's going to happen to you if you live in the hoop, right? You're going to get killed like yeah. Brenna. Before that, you're going to just lose. Like, to survive, you have to give up all sense of identity like Ludi to become a different drummer, dressing like all the other drummers, hearing this beat that connects you and stuff. And that's um, and that's sort of what I mean is, like, the power of of how he does this storytelling. Because this is now my uh, second run of of something that Alan Moore has, has done in this sort of longevity comic. Like, mm-hmm. he is a – like, a story – is structured in such a way that it doesn't treat the reader as stupid. It treats them as attentive, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And in this case, like there are two things that he's counting on. The first is his own storytelling. And the second is how that visual storytelling happens. Yeah. Right. Like I, I love how you pointed out and I swear to God, we'll get to the rest of this. In no, a I'm, second, yeah, but, you know, I mean, this is like, the, this, is the, you know, the, we're book one ends here. So I think it's worth talking yeah. about it for sure. But like, uh, you know, you you pointed out, and I loved this because I I hadn't noticed it until you did hey. that there were no descriptive cards, and I think that that's so telling, at least with like him trusting Gibson to just do mm-hmm. what Gibson does, right? And Gibson trusting him to just do what Moore does, right? And uh, like it, everything feels so. Uh, you know, uh, conducive to telling a story. And yeah. and I know that sounds sarcastic, but it's like a lot of people can't tell stories. Yeah. Stories are hard to tell and stories are hard to get people to draw into and, and think about. And this is one where, you know, every frame of like characters or, or whenever a shadow goes across Halo's face, uh, you know, just before she sees Ludi, and and it's just a dark shadow yeah. uh, cast across her. Like, you know that some fucked up shit's happening. And on that same page, you can see it. And your mind is kind of fucking blown. And, and you didn't want that to have happened to this nice girl. Yeah, the way um, Gibson draws Halo's face, especially in these moments of tragedy and sadness is really amazing and really yeah. um, brings you into the character and stuff. But yeah, okay. So here we go. <laughs> With Ludi, they, you know, so Halo and Rodice leave Ludi sort of nodding along to the beat of the drummers. Um, crying. Yeah, crying as she does. And they're crying too. It's all bad. Um, there's a lot happening at once, but Halo decides to make a decision. She's going out, out of everywhere. Will her problems still be there when she comes back? Who said anything about coming back? She's gone, and Radice runs after her. And I guess it's time to go to Manhattan, where a horrible person says horrible things. Yeah, yeah. We well, we go to a quick like one page prologue here as Halo and Radice take the steps to head Manhattan side. They turn in their welfare cards, and they get a whole bunch of warnings. Yeah, from this like border agent who is a bad guy. 
<laughs> basically. It's not nice. And we also just learn that it's hard for Hoopers in Manhattan. Like you go, you can go to Manhattan, but if you try to go to, you know, leave Manhattan to any other state, you're going to get shot. Um, if you're in kind of a fancy neighborhood and the sun goes down on you, you should probably expect to be shot. There's apartheid zones for aliens to keep humans and aliens separate. They actually say apartheid zones. Um, it's, it's uh, horrible. They, it's, they actually say no, no drummers beyond this point quarantine yep. for the weird tail turtle guys. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> what the proximans. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it seems like it's re- like it's a real, you know, it's a very, um, yeah, like real tough future world, especially for ones that like now that Halo and Rodice are sort of and en- like leaving, going into like in an attempt to basically like like make their fortunes essentially. Um, as they go, they walk through this big. Um, like, wait, wait, sorry, and the job cast is low, unlikely to find work. <laughs> I love that there's a weather forecast for jobs. Yeah. They walk through these sort of misty, spooky streets, sort of in between the hoop of New York City. They hear footsteps coming up behind them. Oh, it's Toby, the Robodog Ripper, I guess. And yeah. Bittersweet. He really, he really <laughs> does not want to talk about what he's just done. Indeed. Something with Brenna's killers. Um, but it looks like Bruna left a legacy program, and now he belongs to Halo. Oh, well, that's nice. I mean, it's a good thing, I imagine, because I, I like Toby, despite Rodice not liking Toby. Yep. Eh, whatever. Um, anyhow, uh... Yeah, so they go in after a t- they and we and we basically sort of cut like a cut past sort of a uh, a job search. People saying no montage, which happens off screen. <laughs> wow! But there's clearly no jobs in Manhattan, but <laughs> there might be jobs out of Manhattan. Oh! If you take my meaning, there um they got one guy they're talking to at like a landscaper job. Basically says um that there are some ships at the shipyard that are leaving soon. That will probably be taking on new hires interested yeah, hey, why not? yeah interested the gals run down to the spaceport and what ship is hiring the clara pandy oh yeah oh, man and rodice i think i'm in love <laughs> yeah real fun get to work on the god ship but um yeah the gals talk to a guy who works who's working on the clara pandy he's like a welding stuff as he talks oh, my to them god he talks maybe like a maybe like a uh louisiana kind of drawl i don't know he's got well he's got a super drawl but he also just talks incredibly fast so that every sentence is um like like one big word you can sort of figure it out if you like say it out loud and stuff um, oh, it's really it's really intense yeah, it is super fast. It seems like a very kind of a future way of talking, almost like it's like a mm. like a where sort of you know your words are, words kind of run together and stuff like that. Which is kind of fun. Um, but basically, it seems like they they're the the pandy is hiring on for hostess duty for a two point five year trip for nine thousand credits, which seems like a lot. The uh, they're the both Halo and Rudis are really stoked about it, but it turns out there's only one job opening. Uh, okay, it, well, which one of us are going to go, I guess? Yeah, they start to like have a discussion about it, but it turns out that they're really looking for someone that can speak cetacean. Which, what? And uh, cetacean, by the way, is the like uh, the the designation for marine animals, like a oh. whale or a dolphin or a porpoise. Those are all cetaceans. Okay. Um, Rodice doesn't speak it, but Halo does. Because um, I guess she was a... 
Ritit Rikti fan club member. Yeah, which is apparently super embarrassing. Like a, it seems like it's like a boy band or something like that. Presumably a dolphin boy band. Oh my <laughs> god! Rodice is shocked. Halo gets the job, and there's some. I think there's some really funny banter in here where. Mm-hmm. Rodice just basically like spends their final moments making fun of her for being in the uh, Riddy Rickty fan club. Like when she's like, "Yeah, you you have to take this job. You gotta get off world because I'm gonna tell all our friends I that mean, you were in this fan club." <laughs> and and in a way, especially with how we close this out, I feel like it's uh, again like knowing Rodice's character as this like force to be strong. Uh, overly aggressive, protective, needs to know uh, situational awareness kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. this is her way of just saying, get the fuck out of here um, without sort of letting down the guard that she's had to build up the entire time she's lived. Yeah, this is definitely something that, um, yeah, from what we've seen for sure, yeah, Rodice really like answers any like moment of like uncomfortableness or emotion by sort of putting up this kind of fun sarcastic tough face you know and so this and so this thing sort of really lets her kind of keep her facade up um as halo agrees to take this job and head out basically especially at the end man where she doesn't even leave yeah, they go, and uh, sh- so Halo and Toby get aboard the ship. Rhodesia says she'll get a job on the next liner out in a year. They'll meet on the planet Charlemagne, where all the ships stop to refuel for the outer systems. They'll meet at the, at the uh, Solid Air Club, where everybody goes for drinks, and the last one pays. Um, so, yeah, Halo and, and Toby head aboard the Clara Pandy. The great ship is once again hoisted by helicopter tugs as we hear uh, Swifty Frisco, the uh, news re- the newscaster, come on, you know, and just gives final news reports. A, a robot has hatched some chicken eggs, and we get a talk of uh, Louise, uh, General Louise Cannibal, uh, who might be moving troops into the Tarantula Nebula, but he sort of uh, plays it off. And the Clara Pandy taking off for the stars. The ship goes, and we see Rodice standing on her own, watching it go. The and end. Of walking Bo- off yeah. into a night. The end of Halo Jones Book One. Oh man! Holy goddamn! If that's <laughs> just not great work. Absolutely. So Halo Jones will return in Prague four oh five. So only about ten Prague's from or twenty okay. Prague's from now. Okay. In, uh, in early eighty four. So I I will accept that. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is going to be done in less than a hundred progs, I should say. Um, oh my god! Are I you should, serious? yeah, and I should tell That's you, beautiful. you know, I've been sort of holding off on this, but man, it really can't be understated how important this uh, thrill is. Like for two thousand AD, um, I, I mean, you can sense it yeah. just from like these first issues i'm really glad that that you're enjoying reading because it is really a big deal like within like 2000 ad like lore and stuff like that like you know i can't whenever i can't believe it like whenever there's a list of like big thrills it's always at the top it's definitely one of these things where um you know it's one of these stories that always gets reprint it's like uh it's like, you know how whenever there's like a new like audio format, like the big deal mm. is like when they like reprint like the Beatles catalog or something like that. Sure. So Halo Jones is like that. Like there's a new, you know, every like couple years is a new definitive version of it put out. There's actually one as we're recording a new one's being released, um, oh, which wow. is in um, this time it's being released in full color by uh, Barbara Nocenzo, who is an, an, an Italian uh, female uh, colorist. 
and yeah, it's a big production here. And it's just something that always, um, yeah, is such a, a key part of 2000 AD. You know, if you look at any like montage of 2000 AD characters, Halo is usually there, like in a real visible spot, you know, even in like the uh, ABC 2000 AD, like the, the, vi- the weekly mm. videos they do, like Halo, you can, you know, one of the characters that they linger on is always Halo Jones. It's a, it's a big, important character and one that 2000 AD uses as their standard bearer a lot. Um, you know, obviously not like an American culture, but I feel like in UK culture, you see a fair amount of Halo Jones things. It's been made into, I believe, both a play and a, and a musical or a, That's an, awesome. an opera, maybe. Um, and then you see little pieces of everywhere. Like, um, when I, w- when we first started our coverage, I like looked up Clara Pandy to see if the name came from somewhere. And I didn't find that, but I did find just sort of like a, uh, a sad rock band from England <laughs> called Clara Pandy that has like an EP oh and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really important like thing for 2000 AD. And, you know, it's a big milestone that they have. You know, both in terms of just being like this example of Alan Moore's writing and Ian Gibson's art, of it being a, you know, this female-driven storyline with mostly female characters and stuff. Um, and just, frankly, just, a, you know, this continued move that we saw with Skiz to sort of to a slight, to a more mature kind of set of subjects for 2000 AD, right? This idea that I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not like I think it's good. No, no, of I'm course. saying I, I'm I just yeah. think treat kids like adults because kids want to be treated like adults. And I mean, the other thing is also just that, you know, the like 2000 AD has an incredibly stable user base, right? Um mm. like it's sort of open with 100,000 um readers in 1984 it still has 100,000 readers. <laughs> like there's a little bit of churn but it's way different than i feel like like i've heard people talk like i've i've heard industry people talk about say marvel comics in this mm-hmm. same era where they basically you know if you read like uh, marvel comics the hidden story the the, the history the uh, industry guys will talk about how the nature of the beast is that sort of you you by every four years you have an entirely new um reader base as oh just God. sort of people go from being an eight-year-old to a 12-year-old reading a comic and then you turn 13 and you're sort of more interested in other stuff you know that's why a lot of times in comic stories repeat and stuff repeat like maybe not precisely but sort of jet concepts do where they bring things up just because they know that like if a story from five years ago there's really not going to be anybody currently reading comics who's still reading comics that's different for 2000 ad though which is super uh stable and so you know at this point if you were like a 12 year old that's reading 2000 ad in 1977 you're still reading it and you're 20 years old you know if you were an eight-year-old reading 2000 ad in 1977 now you're like 15 so i kind of don't disagree with that notion like yeah. I, I I did once upon a time enjoy comic books until they were all just the same things yeah. a lot. I mean, it's what the... And yeah. that's one of the things that's keeping me, you know, doing this podcast, reading this stuff, is that it's yeah. not boring. And no, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's growing and, up, yeah. And it's, and, well, it's evolving, and it's... Man, it just, like, grabs you a little bit, and it... I don't yeah. know. It's arresting. So, so, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, but it means that... They, 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 they want to tell more mature stories. They have a more, more mature base. And 
part of the start of that definitely is, is here with Halo Jones um, and, that's and this new story and something that's going to sort of be leading the way for uh, stories to come and stuff like that. I'm really excited to get to the next part of Halo Jones. I really love it's one of my you know I mean w- like big su- big surprise is one of my favorites. Like <laughs> oh yeah like whoa I I think my favorite movie is Casablanca. That's right <laughs> or something wow, like that. Shots yeah exactly. But like you know like oh yeah one of the all one of the like acknowledged greats is like one of your faves. Okay buddy, but you know I mean still like. There's something to it. It's so it's really amazing, and I'm so glad that we've finally gotten a chance to talk about it on the show. Really looking forward to book two. Really, really looking forward to book three, which I think is the best one. Um, well, it, it feels like, man, that it's uh, burning down the house. Ah, uh, well, hopefully it doesn't start melting things as we go to <laughs> Thrill Three, Judge Dread. Par excellence. Script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner and Alan Grant is TB Grover. Art robots are Ron Smith and Kim Raymond. Letting robot Tom Frame. Okay. Did you ever think it might be completely horrific to die in a giant melting vat of glass? Well, now I know that that would be terrifying. I feel like I did know. Like I, I mean, I, I guess feel if... like I, I didn't think about it and it awoke in me something that yeah. I just never want to experience. I mean, I agree that I, I never really thought about it, but I think if you asked me, I would say yes, that that sounds terrible. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Without question. Yeah. So Dread and Mean barely make it through a gap in the wall as the as a Tulsa melts down once more, killing all the mutants inside. We get some real good looks at uh, just burning, melting, dying mutants. Uh, Dread clears the rest of the survivor mutants out, but at last means brain programming has worn off. Dread takes a butt to the to the chest and loses a rib, and because of his um, but because of his help, Dread resolves not to just shoot Mean in the face, but instead try to fight him and subdue him head to head. Now you got Dread on four. Yeah, and I guess the way that Dread's on four is that he also just shoots you in the kneecaps. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's ab- going to stop the situation. Yeah, they fight a little bit, but eventually Dread's like, geez, I'm an honorable man, but, like, I'm not interested in actually being killed by me on a point of, like, you know, being nice, you know? And that's called being an honorable man. I'm serious. Don't <laughs> just die. Yeah, he's got a job to do. And because of that, he blows the, the crap out of Mean's legs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh crack, crack and my legs so after blowing off uh means kneecaps the an h wagon from texas city arrives and mean is taken to jail on a stretcher and the surviving midwife bots are sent to texas city they got four clone judges um fox will see these clones again all grown oh, that's up awesome yeah but not until the year 2000 so freak out oh jesus oh. christ <laughs> Man, well, if they're anything like him, the rest of us can retire. That's right. So next up, um, we're starting to see sort of like little preview images in the ad pages before Dread starts. Um, mm. This one on the bottom has like a big gator tail and like the Jaws music <laughs> right before it starts. Dum yeah. dum 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 dum. Some perps are escaping Judge Dredd. They're trying to make a make a make their way through the uh, the mega city sewers. Not They're, a good idea because later they just burn Dredd's clothing. Yeah, I mean it's it's bad down there. Um, especially when some giant gators show up. Dredd um, Dredd follows them and sees it. Drock, Croc. <laughs> <laughs> 
like one of one of the perps just gets swallowed whole. Dredge shoots it to death, and then uh, just sort of for the record, it's like a five foot. It's a five meter long blind white gator. I mean, um. I and I'm not gonna. I mean, spoilers. There's a lot of uh, exploding gators in this, That's right. which I guess is just fine. Fine with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one, so Dread looks for the other perp who's not eaten, and that perp falls into a pool with a couple more massive gators inside. Dread tries to shoot them, but a third one jumps up and bites his arm, causing him to draw his law, drop his lawgiver. Oh my god, what are we going to do? Thank God for what's known as the boot knife. Yeah, Dread grabs his boot knife and just starts stabbing this gator to death, takes care Dude, of it. He cuts his like his belly from uh yep, stem to stern. Cloaca? Yep. To <laughs> neck. I mean I I don't think alligators have cloacas. From soup to nuts. Uh. Oh there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with the perp clearly dead, eaten by gators, Dread executes the rest of the reptiles here, but there's no telling how many other nests there are around. Above ground, Dread gets a new uniform as his old one is incinerated, and his gator wounds all sewn up. The doc's like, no alcohol for 36 hours, lay off romance for a week. Dread's like, you making a joke? Dude. <laughs> So, all fixed up, Dread heads to Boss Smelly, who is in charge of the sewers in this area, which is uh, old, you know, it's called Old Town. It's clearly old New York, just because there's surrounding areas with, like, different other uh, New York names and stuff. And mind you, it's not New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. I guess people just like it better that way. Yo, they changed it because English people bought it from the Dutch, and so ch- changed it from, like, the a Dutch city to an English um, area, dude. People God know damn why. It, don't ruin my song reference. All right. They know why they changed Constantinople, too, because, like, the Ottomans aren't going to, like, be cool <laughs> with their, with a big city being named after, um, like, a big, like, like, a Roman emperor guy, you know? <laughs> All right, man. I'm, 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 you know, they might be giants, like, don't know everything, I guess. Anyhow. Wow. <laughs> Shots fired. Anyhow. Wow. Um, at, so it looks, so the boss Smelly says that there should be filters killing all this stuff, but it looks like they aren't looking for, or alligators. <laughs> so they're looking for rats, which I guess is just what the robots are programmed for. So they're not killing the alligators. Yeah. They don't want to kill stuff, the extra stuff. Cause then they'd probably start killing people. You know, you got to be careful about it. I mean, but why are people in the sewer? Whatever. Oh, it's a good question because as the bots are, as the filters are reprogrammed, they get news that a survival club from the Jimmy Tarbuck block, and that's a uh, old TV game show host, is doing a five-day survival exercise in the sewers. Does this seem like something you want to do? If I mean, so, I, I kind, I'm no. Don't you, don't you rationalize this? It's not. Look, man, sewers were not made for people to be like, I'm going to survive in this. They were made for our poop. No. Okay. Well, well, here's my counterpoint. All right. One, we know Mega City One citizens are bored and have nothing to do. That's all true. right. They do crazy stuff. If you ask me about heading an egg into a wastebasket, I wouldn't want to do that either. That's <laughs> but fair. But Marlon Shakespeare's dad does it. Um, <laughs> two... Um, you know, there's no place to go camping in Mega City One. It's all city, 100 I mean, percent, pretty much. They probably have a faux garden that you can pitch a thing on, and it's not the same. Do a pretending, I guess. Three. All right. 
it's important because if there's another big war in the city, like if the Sovs attack again or something like that, you're going to want to go underground to escape like the tanks and killer robots and stuff. So I guess that's fair. Having some experience with navigating the sewers seems like a decent survival ability for uh, a mega citizen. Plus, how often if you're in, if you're a, a 2000 AD character escaping the bad guys, like, oh, that's true. How often do you sewers go to the are, sewers? And it's true. They all have their old Randy. Yeah. Someone had to have old Randied them into that situation. Yeah, so point. listen, you gotta get some baseline knowledge of this. These guys are just trying to be heroic individuals, and I think we, they should be applauded, but not right now, because they're coming <laughs> under attack from giant man-eating gators. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we got old Randy. Oh, God, old Randy's been eaten. Uh, meanwhile, Dredd, like, leads a big multi-judge escape operation. Multiple units head in to find the club. In the sewers, the club turns on itself, uh, throwing the event organizers into the maw of one of the uh, gators and then when they celebrate doing this it causes the ground to give way and they fall in as well (laughs) this is why you shouldn't just kill people but i guess it's again you go to point one it's mega city one yep they're all just horrible people life is cheap and everyone's a jerk (laughs) dread leads an attack um, to rescue the, re- the remaining club members. And in the end of the 23 that went down, eight came out, five with missing limbs. I mean, and yeah, it's just a lot of body parts on stretchers. Seems like a waste of stretchers to me, but all right. Guess they flunked the survival course. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> Next time on Judge Dredd, a question of judgment. And good dread shred stuff. Yeah. And just, and, and and like a nice little uh like midway thing. It was funny. Yeah, fun funny stuff. Thing. I appreciate a giant gator every time. Always good. Um f- meanwhile uh speaking of just sort of yeah, kind of a midway thing, it's our usual midway content of non thrills, covers, and nerve center. Sweet. <laughs> we got some cool covers. Yeah, Prog 383. Yeah, bigger, 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 bigger. That's it's so fucked up, but I guess Hark! yeah, he just does that. Hark! A voice calleth my name. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that they didn't go for the Miss Piggy thing, but oof. I don't even know if that. I, I guess it must be over there in England too. But yeah, uh, Bella and Ellie. Dude, it was like nineteen seventy something. That's that it was too. there. Yeah, Muppets were huge. Like mm-hmm. they had everybody on that shit. All right. Yeah, so Bellard and Ellie with a dungeon-crawling, ace-trucking uh, cover in the nerve center. Frinton Tharg talks up the prog, including uh, the end of Dread Angel. And there's a picture of Strontium Gronk and uh, letters yeah. asking, like, where Slain is. Shops not stocking 2000 AD. Questions about Tharg's eye color. And letters asking for the address of a kid that was in the 2080 sci-fi special for this year who had a dope Judge Dread jumper. <laughs> cool yeah there's also some fun art mid prog including a bunch of with basically j- just a bunch of uh, judge parodies there's a uh, judge michelin judge robin of sherwood judge eastwood and judge gronk and it's pretty funny because this whole thing is sort of presented as something juves are doing to make fun of judge dread in a report to judge magruder and judge magruder's like don't let dread find out about this but then yeah. later in the preview for in the preview pay like panel for the start of Judge Dredd, we see Dredd reading the pictures in a scrapbook and being like, I got to visit some of these perps. <laughs> wow. It's uh, it's great. Uh, I like Judge Eastwood. Judge Eastwood's pretty good. Um, 
I say I like Judge Michelin just because I think the Michelin Man's kind of funny. <laughs> plus, plus Dredd killed the Michelin Man during the Cursed Earth, so it's a weird crossover. That's true. Um, Prog three eighty four jaw to jaw with the law. Kim Raymond draws a cover for the Gator story. Then a uh, midden face McTharge warns us us of the unlimited thrill power in the nineteen eighty five annuals and teases upcoming Nemesis and Hell Trekker stories. Letters include a reader with a brain destroyed by thrill power, questions about the prices of 2080 and other planets, and a pretty bad space dog joke. Mm. Fox, what was the first dog in space? I don't know. Bark what Rogers. Anyhow, oh, okay. um, <laughs> it's actually Mega uh, Mean Metal, Man of War, yeah. Sign a Hammer. That's Get right. It. There's don't also an ad for the Strontium Dog Death Gauntlet video game, and yeah, shout out to my buddy Sean, who's got a tattoo of this album cover on his arm. Yes. Sign of the ammo. also was the dude who showed me Manowar, and to this day, I still listen to Manowar every Monday. It's called Manowar Monday. That's right. Bought me the beer for the 100th episode. Cool dude. Um, oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> that, guy's, guy's got a, that guy's got a mean, mean sense of awesomeness. It's true. Uh, so this prog ends with a back page on Hoop Life, which is basically a rundown of the world of Halo Jones. Uh, sort of explain, yeah, it's real, it's real depressing. It's, yeah, so sort of how it's a dumping ground for the poor and unemployed in the far future. Uh, Swifty Frisco tries to make it sound nice, but it's one of those things where, like, you know, you use a lot of euphemisms for a place that's pretty crappy and makes it seem very grim. Um. <sighs> 385, who's first? Escara with the Alpha vs. Styx showdown. Inside G.I. Tharg mentions the Strontium Dog and Halo Jones' climax is this prog, but then mentions, of course, new things are coming. There's a Judge Red printout picture, questions about a dancer with a nose ring, um, sightings of Dread merch on TV, a request for more ABC Warriors, and a kid who has read 2018 in a submarine. Whoa, what? Yeah. What's up? Uh, I guess he just like was in like a like a fun sub and read 2000 AD in there because that you know you want to read 2000 AD in a weird place and write in <laughs> acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, someone asks about a bunch of like when various stories start in 2000 AD stuff, and he asks for an update on the Mega Plan, which we heard about at the beginning of the year and haven't heard since, but it's coming mm. soon. Um, there's a micro page this week about microcomputer stuff with reviews for games for the Spectrum and Commodore and a long form review of the game Cytron. All right. This prog ends with a back cover drawn by Kevin O'Neill, basically just showing a bunch of Nemesis updates, a map of the galaxy and showing where the Gothic Empire, where our next Nemesis story will be set. And then sort of the the heads and brief descriptions of various Nemesis characters. Most important to me, at least, and here's our old buddies, Mechquake, Rojaws, and Hammerstein, who will be playing a major role in the coming Nemesis storyline. I am so goddamn excited. Yeah. And speaking of space adventures, it's Thrill 4 Ace Trucking. A script robot for Ace Trucking, Alan Grant and John Wagner's Grant Grover. Art robot Massimo Bellardinelli. Letting robot Steve Potter. So, okay, Fox. Okay, Conrad. You remember Bug Bly is apparently saying slurs about evil blood all over Port Bucko. Uh, He's saying evil blood does nice things and his buckers are Nancy swabs. Well, that's not a very, I guess, evil thing to say. Ah, uh, you've never done a nice thing in your life, uh, evil uh, bug bly. 
Jesus. It's, of course, really a ploy by Ace, but don't worry about it. Blood gathers his swabs and prepares to attack Bug Bly. And what's Ace and crew going to do? Man, they're going to join them and then break off midway through and go save the princess. That seems pretty all right. And man, oh man, these stairs are real big. uh, And Ace is real small, comparatively. (laughs) Yeah, man, they got to do it, you know. But, uh... Yeah, so they head in all hands to battle stations. Um, Ace does the old fake prisoners to bring in kind of deal Star Wars style, but he doesn't even have somebody dressed up like a fake guard. They just sort of start beating people up as they go, and soon they fought their way well into Bly's Fortress. Great fighting art, by the way, by Bella Dinelli mm. here. I really like they, how... Yeah. Me him right in the... Bugnards. Definitely, yeah. I like how while Evil Blood is kind of just a motley random crew, Bug Bly mostly has like crazy wasp guys and stuff. Bugs um, only. That's right. So they make their way in. GBH, they uh, they finally make their way to the dungeon. GBH just grabs the princess's door and just kind of smashes it to flinders, which is pretty awesome. It's pretty great. Yeah. And, um, you know, Princess Gardenia kisses Ace on the cheek. My hero! Um, and then and then here comes a bug man with a comically large blunderbuss. I love it. I absolutely. love it so much. Yeah, the bell of his blunderbuss is like the size of a, like, like an old-style gramophone, basically. It's so huge. It's real good. Blind as goons tell Ace to uh, tie themselves up. But instead, Ace turns the ropes into lassos and steals Blug's blaster, shooting him away with a badow. Oh, hell yeah. And it's that badow is like, I mean, it's real big. It's real big. Real Chaboom sort of folded juice. over. Yeah. Um, so they get out of there. Oh, Princess Gardenia is so happy to be rescued that she starts to swoon <laughs> and crushes Ace. It's pretty adorable. Yeah, it's time to chug as Bly, as a Bly and Bly, or Bly's and Blood's men are continuing to fight it out. It's going pretty good for Blood. Uh, Bly's men start to get confused. Oh, you know, it's, it's pretty funny because, like, B- evil Blood's like, oh, insult me by saying I'm a nice guy, will you? And like, we didn't say that. What are you talking about? And then he just cuts <laughs> their heads off. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty great. Yeah. Ace tries to sneak away, but that goes poorly, and Blood finds them. And there's also a Massimo Bellardinelli cameo in here. Keep an eye out. So, with the day one, Blood's pretty excited about Gatorina being sprung because they need some vittles. Hey, yum, yum, eat them up. That swine looks like it's going to go straight into uh, my tummies. Help me, Captain God. They're going to consume. You're my only hope. (laughs) The uh, princess is taken to the spit and Ace tries to save her. But man, these pirates are hungry and Blood's got a whole meal plan that actually sounds pretty awesome. Although they did forget applesauce. Um, Well, we got to get that applesauce. Ace thinks quick and mentions that they can ransom the princess and get some big money for it. Blood agrees and uh, royalties off the menu. (laughs) Um, Ace offers to take the princess off to be safe so they can get the ransom. That way she won't, like, get caught in the crossfire if Bug Bly counterattacks or anything. Um, Evil Blood agrees to this, and the princess is loaded onto the Speedo Ghost with a warning that if Ace (laughs) double-crosses him, Evil Blood will have a terrible revenge. 
Well, I just I love the way he he kind of does this sneaky ace garb thing where he's like, well, you know, I mean, this guy double crossed you. Who do yeah. you who can you actually trust? Yeah, he's I like, mean, yeah, like you should head up. Yeah, we should definitely get her out of here. But can you really trust like your swabs to take her away? It's like, ooh, good point. I guess I can trust you, Ace. But FYI, if you betray my trust, I'm gonna skiver your livers and so forth. Yeah, I bet skivering livers. Not an ideal situation for anyone, really. You know, you want your livers to most... 80% of the time, you want your livers to be unskivered. Anyhow, <laughs> the ghost takes off and they're gone. Ace's hey, plan has actually... Yeah, here. Yeah, Ace's plan has actually worked for once. But don't worry, says the ship's computer. Ace will screw it up somehow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty accurate. There's like a 90% chance of that. Yep, absolutely. At the pig planet, the princess is home safe. Ace is knighted and made an honorary hog of the realm. And now that he's a hog, he can marry Gardenia. Well, holy hell. I guess, you know, Prince Garp doesn't sound so bad, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to go. Lame. Um, Ace basically says that his true bride is the big empty, the space lanes, and the boys head out. Though Feek does offer to marry the princess, because honestly, being a prince seems pretty awesome, and I got to agree with him. Yeah, strong agree. On a pig planet, that's dope. Get all the apples you want. Oh my god, yeah. You just Think you of the mud baths. Hang out, you know? That seems like... Yeah, they seem to a, eat pretty well. Prince of a pig planet seems is like a is like my 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 go, my goal in life. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the boys head back to um, the courthouse. You got their sentences lifted, though they should be worried if they ever show up in court again. With one final knock from the warden, our guys head back to their ship. Hey, everything's going great. What bad what bad thing could happen now? Um, namely, hootin' heck, it's evil blood. Surprise, matey. He's here for revenge, and the rest of the crew promptly abandons Ace to his fate. <laughs> and I guess, like, through sheer force of weird trucker luck, he gets the F out of there. Yeah, just with, like, uh, some nimbleness, Ace manages to escape uh, and make it back to the ship, and the ghost blasts off, evil blood on the ground, holding his two cutlasses, swearing revenge. Uh, hooray. Off into the sunset. The end of Ace Trucking. Until next week. They, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say, what? Yeah, he'll be back next time. We're going to be, yeah, we're sort of rolling with Ace for uh, uh, the next couple months for sure. Um, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty right. good. Yeah. And speaking of, I mean, I guess all of them, of uh, even more stories coming to an end, it's Thrill 5, Rogue Trooper. Oh, man. He's... <laughs> Gonna get double cross. Oh my god. Uh script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, letting robot Bill Nuttall. Uh yeah, so Rogue and a unit of Nort troops, the Cashars, are being attacked by a field of mutant cane. Uh Rogue could just walk out if he wanted to. The cane isn't looking for him. Uh, I mean, plus, so he does. Yeah, he does, yeah. And then the Cashers played a role in the court's massacre, though they say it was just like a support role. And I guess even after he's walked out, Rogues doesn't really want to be responsible for these guys dying with their blood getting sucked out by mutant squid plants. It's sort of a shitty thing to do, I guess. I mean, they did kill a lot of your friends, but, you know, he's got honor, 
I guess. Man, rogues killed a ton of Norts for way less reason than that. That's what I'm trying I'm, to say. I'm not going to lie. He left like a weird hippie guy who was archiving history, whatever, to the fate of getting eaten by a bunch of bramble. So yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, he goes back in to save him. Only the like this main centurion guy is still alive and Rogue uh, carries him out. The centurion survives, but then grabs Gunner and attacks Rogue because he was lying all the time because they the cashers were there and they killed the GIs for sport. Oh, never oh betrayal. God. Uh, <laughs> betrayed Rogue. Shoot him in the knee yeah, so that we Ro- can have a standoff. Yeah, because Rogue decides, hey, if you want to make sport of it, let's make a game here. Um, we'll put Gunner in the middle and whoever gets to him first can use him to kill the other one. Hey, why not? Yeah, the the Kashar agrees, but not before uh, shooting Rogue in the knee, just to kind of handicap it a little bit. But it's not nearly handicapped enough, because he doesn't know about Rogue's new telekinetic powers. So Rogue just grabs Gunner with the mind powers and shoots him in the face. <laughs> I guess telekinesis doesn't work when you're holding the thing someone wants to telekinesis. I don't know what the extent of the power is, but all right, man, inevitable trail, always good. Rogue heads out. <laughs> go. Yeah, there we go. Yep. Next now- time, M for murder. That's right, dial M for murder. Yeah, we cut to Rogue being pinned down by Nort attackers. He'll be dead within the hour, but that the message of this happening is intercepted by a mysterious attack craft that heads his way, looking for Rogue all over New Earth. Let's thwip some mines down and... Yep. Blow yeah. some people up. Rogue fence off a Nort attack, but a dying trooper lets him know that he's a dead man. They've got a new weapon designed to kill him. What could it be? It's not this guy, Mm-mm. I guess. Yeah, the Norts begin their final assault, and all seems lost when an Atmo craft flies in, um, taking them all out. I'll mention that it's an Atmo craft. It's written as Adam craft, uh, whatever. <laughs> Who is this mysterious Souther that saved Rogue, buddy? It's former pistol, Major Magnum. <laughs> He's been regened into, I'm going to kill you, the guy, with the same Magnum. That's right. Yeah, well, he's got another GI pistol. He's here to kill Rogue, and he's be as opposed to a gunner, he's been regened with a full head of hair, not a mohawk, but whatever. Um, That's pretty sweet, I guess. Man, I really got to say that just like with Venus Blue Jeans, these scenes, especially where there's multiple GIs, I'd really prefer them to have at least one color page so we can see a couple blue people. It um, would be nice. You know, Magnum holds a gun on Rogue, who's been stripped of his gear. It's time for a field court martial. The charge is desertion. I guess none of the stuff that people say in defense of him really matters. None of this matters. He just wants to shoot this guy. Oh, yeah. He just wants to trump it up, you know, as a fake thing that he's just making up to shoot Rogue in the face. Meanwhile, (laughs) we learn about stuff. Yeah. At a Nort base, we see a Souther prisoner get hit by a weird sonic wave that forces him to put a gun to his head and pull the trigger. Even though the gun is unloaded, he dies of heart failure from the pressure of doing this. The Norts have have perfected a new weapon. The Mind Warper. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's still beautiful. It's called the Mind Warper. It is 100% effective, but they can only use it on one guy at a time. And it takes like a couple minutes. So it's not really super effective as a weapon. I mean, yeah. So it's 100% effective in that it's completely ineffective. Yeah, well, you know, one at a time is fine if you want to use it on specific people. For instance, Rogue Trooper. Right, <laughs> hey, great. But yeah. uh, we don't, like, know how to just do him. But we do, like, I love how he says this. I can guarantee 
that we're going to kill a GI. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, all yeah. right, buddy. Basically, it's like, yeah, so back in the field, the chips are trying to defend Rogue, and they're, like, shouting objection and hold it, but um, <laughs> Magnum is... I understand your yeah. reference. But he's declaring it all, like, inadmissible and, like, doesn't matter and all that stuff, because he's just basically using the guise of a field court marshal to shoot Rogue in the face. He's just trying to do it to, like, get some monologue time for it, essentially. Um, Yay. It's about to happen when suddenly, yeah... Um, we learn that it's re- it's pretty hard to target a uh, a human mind uh, a specific person over like thousands of miles but it is way easier to find biochips and biochipped gear so they basically press the button and the goal is to uh just have it work on whoever happens to be holding biochipped equipment at the time which is pretty much guaranteed to be rogue trooper great yeah, but it turns out that indeed, as we as we see, um, yeah, it's not, it's not. It's a major Magnum. He gets hit by the mind wave, not Rogue, so he blows blows his brains out instead. Rogue walks off with his gear and stuff, and later the Norts check the remains. They find a blue eyed, a blue skinned dude with his face blown off. Assume it's Seems Rogue fine. Trooper, and that's good to go. All right, uh, it's time we found the traitor, I guess. Yeah, it's a cool coincidence. Quint- it's a cool coincidence. What a quinky dink. Anyhow. <laughs> At this Great. point, Rogue has finished all the side quests. All the icons on the, on his map are clear, except the one main quest icon remaining. It's time to finish God. the job and find the Traitor General. Next to time. To the ends of New Earth. To the ends of New Earth. Yeah, beautiful. Finally time. Oh, man. Uh, do you think uh, there's going to be a betrayal in there? I mean, certainly possible. <laughs> It's likely. One way or another. It's Rogue Trooper, right? It's got to go rogue. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of stories we're possibly not looking forward to all that much, it's Uh, uh, Thrill 6, Tharg the Mighty, and Future Shocks. Zraglaw. Yeah. Uh, Tharg the Mighty, Zraglaw, Art Robot Eric Bradbury, Letting Robot Tony Jacob. And it's the Dictators of Zrag, man. Their mom, the Hag of Zrag, casts a spell to make a Mega City Judges. They become okay. judges and they send uh, the hag to the cubes for impersonating so I guess just a something. box. Yep, and then they fly off to the mega city offices on their lawmasters. They fly uh, off. Yeah, I like just how saying. I like how they um they blast through uh, John Howard in um at like the reception <laughs> desk because that's where sure. the original uh, John Wagner um, pseudonym bot ended up. Like after he lost his nerve, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they blast past him, they burst into Tharg's office, they shoot him with stench guns and arrest him, but unknown to the Zrags, uh, Tharg has set his throw machine to full power, which causes a bunch of tiny judges to suddenly come to life, and, uh, from the page of 2000 AD, and they're more than able to handle a trio of giant jimps, which is of course impossible well, judges. Yeah. The uh, the dictators are taken down, and Tharg sentences them to the ultimate hard labor, which is be- hosting a 2000 AD signing at Forbidden Planet in London, which is pretty funny, honestly. Yep, you gotta sign, and you can't stop signing until all the things are signed. I really like how they're, uh, one of the Forbidden Planet guys, uh, it, how the, there's a caricature of one of the uh, owners of Forbidden Planet, he's standing over them while like wearing a fancy fur coat and hat and stuff. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> 
Um, anyhow, our final future shock is war is the war game. Script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Jose Ortiz, lettering robot Tom Frame. This is the first time for Jose Ortiz appearing on our show, but he's about cool. to do uh, Hell Trekkers and then also uh, Rogue Trooper. All right. Uh, a little later. And of course, fans of the Where Eagles Dare podcast will recognize him for his excellent work on the New Eagle, drawing stories like uh, The Tower King, House of Demon, and uh, The Fifth Horseman. So, right, yeah, just, you know, that's just. More stuff. Yeah, that's sort of the most I'm going to say about this thing, because this is a pretty bog standard future shock here. Uh, soldiers fighting a, a masked enemy in a future war field. In this case, the enemies are pretty short, and eventually it's revealed that they're invincible because they're actually evil mutant human or children that are coming to kill the grown ups. Oh, jeez. Okay, geez. then. Yeah. Child's play. Looks like these looks like kids are finally killing grown-ups explicitly instead of implicitly. Bam, bam, bam. Oh man, I that's horrible and yeah, great. Bad stance to take. Anti-kid, bad person. Anyhow, um <laughs> Speaking of being bad people, Fox, with that, we're done with this episode. Wow. Progs 383 to 386, September and October 1984. My That's question it. for you, good sir, is what were your top and bottom thrills? I mean, it seems pretty easy, but the first thing that I want to say is, God damn it, Strontium Dog, if you don't deserve so many things, like a hug and a kiss and like some roses and like a chocolates uh, <laughs> parade in your honor because you're so beautiful, but... It's and you know Judge Dredd being great. I love blown up gators. I guess like any uh, red blooded American <laughs> uh, or I guess crocodiles. Whatever. I think they're gators. Huge, the story's no called difference. Gator. There's not okay. there's not an appreciable difference when there's a giant reptile trying to bite your face off. I'll definitely say that. Fair. Blown them <laughs> up's fun. I guess. Uh, but man, I mean, when you've got something like the Ballad of Halo Jones going on, can you really say anything but that that is indeed your top? And man, oh man, that is my top. We talked about it a lot this episode. Yeah. Uh, we gushed a lot. I don't need to gush more here. It's lovely. Everyone should read it. Be a, be a real human being and read this thing and, and feel feelings. Um, it's a great story. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Bottom Buddy, like, I'm sorry, Rogue. You're back there. I, I know you're tired. You're war weary. You gotta. <laughs> you want to go home. You want to get your buddies regained and just go to sleep. Maybe like find a blue lady that isn't a uh, d someone who's gonna betray you. And then uh, you know, um, like open up a business uh, selling like like a kiosk, right? Like you're selling Ooh. drinks and cigarettes and whatever. And oh, you're just kind of you're you're open like most weeks and and sometimes into the evening. But you turn in and you're working real hard, um, and and you know, just have a nice peaceful life until it's like a, yeah, uh, like a like a snack stand at the mall is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. Like you're you're not looking for action, man. You're just looking for. Some simple stuff. Or, or open up like a bar. You know, that seems like a veteran's thing to do. Like open up a bar. You like to keep things clean and, and you're keeping some military precision. But you know what you don't want to do anymore. You don't want to you want to be doing what you're doing right now. Oh, which man. is what we're reading. I'm sorry, man. Place? That sounds like a cool bar. <laughs> right? Rogue's. Rogues, Rogue's Tavern uh, and whatever. And he's got the chips as like uh doing I, I don't even know what you what oh, come on they've been regined at this point man they're just regular guys 
All right. I mean, like, okay. So, like, Gunner is just a drunk hanging out at the bar, right? Like, he he doesn't give a shit. He's spending his pension, and that's all he's going to do for the rest of his his gig. But the other two are working. They like working. You don't want to. I I I think of Gunner is always playing that uh, one deer hunter game, like like video games oh, in the back my of like God, bars, right? right? Like, and he's got like like the five top scores that no yeah. one can touch. He's, he's way into like Elk Hunter 2016. And he's got he's got the top score specifically so that the three letters that you can say all like he makes it spell out like Gunner is the best in three letter segments. Oh, nice. I just imagine them all being like gun over and over again. But oh, yeah, that's fair. I see your point, too. Um, <laughs> what a ridiculous aside. OK, I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, Conrad, hey, uh, other than my bullshit diatribes, uh, what's your top and bottom thrills? OK, so here is my listing of thrills for this episode from top to bottom. All right, hey, buddy. Halo Jones, Strontium Dog, Ace Trucking, Judge Dread, Rogue Trooper. I feel like that's fair. And anything that's else not mentioned, clearly unmentionable. And I'm not going to talk about no <laughs> Tharg story. Get out of here with that. doesn't count for these mentioning things. Yeah. No. Halo Jones, generational story, once in a lifetime kind of thing. Um, a great uh, Strontium Dog story, you know, reaching its climax even. Can't compete with that. Um, but way strong, fun Strontium Dog story. Um, I really like this ace trucking story too. This pirate stuff's real funny. Um, mm. You know, I obviously like the lisping is John Wagner's crazy sense of humor. Um, that's fine. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny actually. Just a a, a big lisping princess and stuff. Um, I thought that was Why pretty not? good. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, but Halo Jones is just, it's literally Halo Jones in 2000 AD. You know, <laughs> like, that sounds like BS, but it is an important thing. And something that I'm, you know, I'm stoked we got to, and I'm glad we talked about it. Um, yeah, and then on the bottom, yeah, it's Rogue Trooper. And, you know, it's same old stuff for Rogue Trooper. It's fine, but it's just, yeah, I'm just not looking forward to it, I guess. I'll say yeah. also that, that the next Tharg the Mighty story is in uh, Prague 427. So about 40 issues from now, July 1985, just uh, so you can be aware. (laughs) And with that, I'll say I just want to thank everybody and hope you enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. You can contact us at spacepinner2000 at gmail.com, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Twitter, we're spacepinner 2 k everything else will come to spacepinner2000. You'll find us! Then, come back this Thursday, as I'm joined by 2080 forums member Colin YNWA to talk about the 1985-2080 annual. It's oh, a pretty hell good, yeah. yeah, it's a pretty good one. It's got new stories with Dread, Slain, the ABC Warriors, and a Rogue Trooper story that's kind of a companion piece to this one because Dread, or because Rogue fights the Cashans, the other side of the guys that um, killed his unit at the, at the Quartz Massacre. Um, then come back this Monday, next Monday, as it's time for the Big Fall reset in 2000 AD, and we'll have completely new thrills. All full, full slate of new thrills. Dread begins to question his judgment. The Ace Gang goes on strike. Rogue begins the final showdown with the Traitor General. And then we'll have two brand new thrills. The sci-fi misery western hell trackers. And another installment of a little story I like to call Nemesis the Warlock. Oh!
Oh, God damn it. I'm listening to Manowar all week just in preparation. Yeah, it's going to have... It's all uh, said and done. ...guest stars from the ABC Warriors. It's going to be real awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be... I'm super stoked, too. Until then, I'm Conrad Fox, and we are Space Boom 2000. God, I can't control myself. Yeah. Oh, give me one second. No, uh, Podcat just said she's not getting a ton of attention and just wrecked my room. Give me one second. Okay. Yeah. Now who's not? Get- now who can't control themselves? Answer, Podcat.